Were you able to make it through Obadiah? I don't know. Obadiah was hard, man. That was that was just a long journey. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm sure uh, you had to take several breaks. People are Obadiah. loving these minor prophets, man. I think they're just kind of like really. I don't know what it is about the minor prophets, well, but they're just really soaking it in. I mean, it's just. What's, what's crazy about it? They're the shortest books in the Bible, but they're the, but they're neglected. They're neglected the most, which doesn't make any sense because you would think they would be read the most. Right. Since they're short. Other than the one we're going to get into tonight. I feel like the Jonah second, yes, Jonah, Jonah. Jonah is like one of the most famous books out of the Bible. Probably it really ever. is. I mean, people that don't even know God know Jonah. Like literally in the Scopes trial, he used this uh, Daro who was attacking Brian, who was this pastor and all of that mm -hmm. in, the, in the trial. He used Jonah as, a, as kind of like a way to question his legitimacy as a pastor and everything. Oh. I mean, so, I mean, yes, you're right. Like, even the secular world knows Jonah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and two, we'll talk about this when we get to Jonah, but they use Jonah kind of as a, as a way to say that, test the Bible's legitimacy, maybe. So, the, the secular world does. Mm -hmm. So, we obviously believe that Jonah yeah. was swallowed by a big fish. Amen? Amen. Yeah, well, higher criticism just tried to say it was like a allegory of right. pagan gods right. as opposed to the Hebrew Kind of like the Adam and Eve conversation we yeah. had. Yep. Yep. So, well, good evening, live feed. Y'all wave with the live feed out there. Hello, everybody. We love y'all. Hello, hello. Love you. Hello. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, so, uh, Shelby Hazard. What's your name? Colton. Clayton Pruitt. I'm just kidding. Col Maybe Clayton. Clayton. Sometimes Clayton. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a chameleon. Well, y'all both have the same first initial, so it's, it's difficult. <laughs> and syllables. So. That's it. <laughs> All right, well, let's go to Obadiah tonight. We'll do the 21-verse prophecy first. Obadiah, the shortest the shortest prophecy in the Old Testament. So let's dive in. And what nation is being judged? Edom, exactly, Edom. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple um, prophecy to understand, very straightforward. There's some pictures for you. How do you like that whale picture? It's pretty good. I just figured, you know, that I, I, the reason why I chose that picture and not, not the bajillion other ones that were out there, can, see if anybody can take a wild guess why I chose that picture. What? No, but it does. Yeah. Okay, well, no, but it does. Because no noodling he, going his, on here. his foot is about to be sucked into the mouth first. I mean, isn't that what you're afraid of when you're swimming in the lake that, you, that the fish is going <laughs> to nip at your toes? That's like all he's thinking about. <laughs> and so when I, when I looked at that fish, it's the first thing I thought. The fish is grabbing him by his foot first. It's going to suck him in, you know, and take him, take him down. Have to you ever had, like, fish, like, kind of, like, suck on your toes yeah, we, a little bit? We grew up in, in the Mississippi Delta. We grew up in an oxbow lake that had yeah. gar the size of, of four-wheelers. You've been noodling, it. haven't you? Huh? You've been noodling, haven't you? Do what? you know what noodling is? No, I mean, yeah. When you put the noodles underneath your legs. You no, can, no. Oh, what's noodling? When uh, these, these hillbillies go into rivers. Sorry, guys. Anyone who's been noodling before. <laughs> I, hey, it sounds like a lot of fun. I do it too. So, But they go into the rivers and they, they, they literally stick their hands up under oh, logs. Oh, you're talking about hand grabbing. That's <laughs> yeah. you talk, well, that's, they call it noodling too. Yeah, and you, they just stick their hands up under these logs. They have no idea. They cannot see anything, and they try to see if there's any catfish up yeah. under oh, there, yeah, and they'll just suck right onto their arm, and they'll yank them out of the hole. Yeah. Man, it's pretty cool. There's a pretty. woman that does that <laughs> in the Delta that, that does that, and she has caught some of the biggest fish ever. Doing yeah, that. So, yeah. So anyway, I just thought the picture just kind of, the next time you're swimming around in water that you can't see to the bottom in, you know, just imagine Jonah and the big fish, okay? 
I love it. And just are you running from the Lord? And you can just sit there floating while you're swimming. I'm run, am I running from Am God? I running from the Lord? Am I about to get like eaten by a big fish? That's right. All right. And here's your timeline that we've been using for each prophecy. And you can see right here on the left-hand side, Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, all of them were kind of clustered together uh, before the fall of Israel right there with Assyria. Uh, so they're all kind of prophesying uh, about, in, in general, about the same thing, okay, about the judgment that is coming uh, from Assyria and then later Babylon, okay? All right, Obadiah, the man. Who, anybody in here know anybody named Obadiah? I'm just curious. Anybody know anybody named Obadiah? I don't even, okay. We do now. We got Obadiah. Stop me. So Obadiah means servant of, of Jehovah, servant of Jehovah. And, of course, we always talk about this, that in the West meaning America, this direction over here, our, our names don't always mean something. But within the Old Testament, New Testament, typically within Judaism and within the Hebrew uh, people, names were always very significant, kind of like Indians. You know, Indian names were always intrinsic to who the, the Indian, like something about the Indian's life. So uh, that's, just always remember that with Hebrew people. So the name Obadiah appears 20 times in the Bible, representing 13 different people, but the only reference to this writing prophet is in verse 1 of the book that you read right here, and it says, the vision of Obadiah, okay? The vision of Obadiah. He was God's messenger to Edom, and the message that he brought Edom was not good. Uh, the message he brought Edom was actually about their past sins, went all the way back into the history of Israel and told them that they were going to be punished for, for the way they had treated their fellow uh, their fellow family members in Israel. This is the shortest book of the Old Testament. Were y'all amen in that secretly? I know you were. I was. All right, central message. Pride deceives a person or nation, and as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. So in other words, their sins have not been forgotten. Yes, Dick. Thank you. Thank you. Interesting. All right. The structure of the book, the destruction of Edom is the first 16 verses, and then the restoration of Israel is verses 17 to 21. And remember that when you go through all the prophetical literature, there will always be this pattern of destruction and restoration, right? I mean, that's, that's just kind of a, a spiritual cycle that we go through, like discipline or restoration, judgment restoration. There's always, with God, there's always hope. Amen? There's always hope. That's the wonderful yeah, thing amen. about the God we serve. Yeah. All right, the destruction of Edom is verses 1 through 16. Uh, the name Edom means what? Red. red. Yeah, red. And there's a really good connection here that I hope you, that I hope you looked into a little bit. Uh, it is the name given to Jacob's father, Esau, because he sold his birthright for red pottage. So Brother. for red soup. Brother Esau, right? Brother Esau, yes. Brother, okay. Brother Esau. Just wanted to make sure. Yes. Had it right in my head. What did I say? You said father. Did I say father? Yeah. I'm sorry. Brother. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I knew Thank what you me. meant. I knew what you yeah, meant. I don't know why I said father. It's okay. Maybe well, I man. I'm just here to help you out, I man. know you are, man. Yeah. Just, I love having Wind beneath your wings, dude. That's why you're up here. Genesis 25, 30. Yes. Uh, you're talking about Esau? I know that Jacob grabbed Esau's foot. When they, were, when they were coming out of the womb. Esau came first, but Jacob was holding on to his heel. 
man, he's uh, he's pulling sod. I bet. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'd have to go back and check. We'd it have out. to go back and check notes on that one. Yeah. I, with my initial thought when he said that was was I know that um, I know that when um, Rab mm-hmm. was asked to tie the scarlet thread, mm-hmm. that it was connected to. Uh, go ahead. Oh, that was that was the connection, Tamar. That's right. That's right. There it is. That's right. Okay, we'll elaborate on that later. Just yep. keep going. All right, Genesis twenty-five thirty. And Esau said to Jacob, "Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted." Now, obviously, there's a backstory to this um, that, that you need to know. Just that one verse. He's just trying to to help you understand the source of this of this name. And, of course, you don't have time to go back through the whole story of what happened and the, the deception that happened and all that with the family. But it is a very interesting story, and uh, Paul uses the story in Romans to yeah. explain the doctrine of election Esau and several other things. So, hated and Jacob I loved. And, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a very deep theology that if you do not know, uh, pl- please explore that yeah. uh, it, it's in, your own, in your own time because it's, it's deep. The child of promise. It is. All right, the Edomites, therefore, came from Esau, Genesis 36.1, and they lived in the Mount Seir area, a mountainous region south of the Dead Sea. It is what we know today as Jordan, okay? Uh, Seir means what? Hairy or rugged, because uh, Esau was a hairy man. So I guess all of us are Esau's, right, guys? All of us are Esau's. <laughs> Genesis 27, 11, but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. And the point that he was making there was when Rebekah was trying to coach him to basically steal the blessing because Esau was the older brother, Jacob was like, well, this is never going to work because even though he's blind, he can touch me, my body, and he can tell that I'm not Esau because yeah. we're different. I'm, Esau's real hairy, and, and I'm not. I'm just saying man. that dude must have been extremely hairy because don't they use sheep's wool? And I mean, have you ever felt sheep's wool? I mean, it's pretty thick. So that dude must have been like <laughs> matted. I like, mean, a, like a bear. Like, have you ever seen a dog just like mangy and matted, poor thing? You yeah. know, I, I think that's how Esau was. He was just like yeah. completely just, yeah. Phew. Yeah. That's, that's kind of wild. It is. Yeah. It is. There was a guy I saw on vacation when I was a kid uh, at, the, at the public swimming pool that, that I think probably <laughs> fit, fit that, that description. Okay. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And he got up out of the pool and I looked at him and I mean, Esau. Man, I mean, I thought Bigfoot had gotten out of the pool. It was unbelievable. So, you know. Oh, man. But Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. All right, so then we see the antagonism originating with the twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, persisted through the centuries and is seen throughout the history of Edom. And you'll see this all through the Scripture. Uh, it's just like with Ishmael and Isaac. You see a, a constant antagonism between them as children that, that represents the, the national antagonism that both people that descend from them will have their entire existence. It's, and there, there really is some element of, of truth uh, to not just that, but also the way that uh, children are born. Because I can tell you right now, the mm-hmm. births that all three, that all th- three, I always forget Chloe, the birth, she came six years later. It's okay, so it's man. Just hard, so, you know, so anyway. Um, how they, each of them were born kind of characterizes their life to a certain degree, you know? Yeah. It, it really does. Yeah. So, Sets uh, a trajectory for it sure. It does. It does. All right. So the Edomites rejected the request. Here's the big thing here that kind of set the trajectory of, of where Edom would eventually actually help Babylon destroy and carry off Israel uh, during the destruction of the northern kingdom. 
The Edomites rejected the request of Israel to travel through Edom on their journey from Egypt. If you remember this, this was early in, early in the, the nation of Israel's existence. And I've got the scripture in here for you. This is Numbers 20, 14 through 21. Okay, so Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, not your father, your brother Israel, right? You know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us as our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. How did he ask? What, did, what word did he use? Please. The magic word, Please. yeah. <laughs> Please word. let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand until we have passed through your territory. So in other words, all they were asking for in modern day terms would be what? Easement. They just wanted easement just to get through, through just, just to be able to get through their yeah. land. But Edom said to him, you what? Shall not pass through, lest I come out with a sword against you. So not only are you not coming through, if you do come through, what am I going to do? Attack you and kill you. Exactly. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then we will what? We'll, pay, we'll compensate you for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. And what, what Obadiah and what, what Dr. Stringfellow are trying to get through to us is, is that this antagonism, this antagonism lasted their entire existence, all the way, all the way through the elect nation and the non-elect nation you see this all the way through their existence, right? Yeah, right. All the way to the very end. And it's interesting, it's interesting because here it is again, you see this interesting moment when Esau and Jacob are born and God chooses Jacob mm -hmm. uh, instead of the firstborn. Uh, it's just very interesting how you see that. Which is that. not the norm, because normally the, first, the firstborn inherits, right. inherits the blessing. Kind of like with Ephraim and Manasseh, right? He thought, you know, Joseph thought that his son Manasseh would be the one to be chosen, and Ephraim is the one that, uh, that's blessed, mm -hmm. that receives and gets the blessing mm -hmm. from his father Jacob. And it's just yep. kind of an interesting yep. thing how God the older, chooses. The older shall serve the younger. Right, right. Yep. It's interesting. It is, it is. It's a bummer being the oldest child of three. That's what I am. Is a bummer, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, I'm middle <laughs> child, so. <laughs> so you're good. Yep. Edom lost its identity as a nation before the time of Christ and disappeared from history in 70 AD. And that was the judgment of God that, that, the, that the blessing of dwelling in the land, the blessing of, of, a, of a prodigy, all that was, uh, was taken away. So in Obadiah's day, the capital of Edom was Selah or Petra, the rose city. And I, I wondered, I didn't have time to look it up, but I wonder if that's the same Petra that they used in the in the, uh, the, the uh, Indiana Jones, it, was it the last crusade when they went into the, I think it was like a, I'm vaguely I, I think recalling. it was Petra, I think it was Petra where they, where they shot that. Where they shot well, these that. were real places. Oh, yes, so, yes. You know. So the ancient capital before Obadiah was, was Basra in Isaiah 63.1. The Edomites had a bitter, persistent spite for Israel. Okay. 
They hated everyone from the family of Jacob, and this was her great sin. So let's look at, the, oh, let's look at that, verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, just go there. I don't think I put that in the... No, I didn't. So we'll just, we'll just, I'll just read it for you right quick. Sorry. You want me to get that? Sure, go ahead. All right, starting in verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Yeah. So what was, what was Edom doing? Helping the enemies of Israel. And, and laughing at yeah. Israel while he was doing yeah, it. I, I kind of was thinking about this as we were reading the passages uh, in here and, and thinking about Obadiah and the judgment on Edom and, and how we've even seen with uh, Elijah, you know, how Elijah calls the she-bears against these boys and everything. And that's a hard text, but, but that, you know, there's this kind of pre- uh, prevailing principle that you see in Scripture that you don't mess with God's people. You, you don't, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, God is going to protect and preserve his people. Uh, and I think that that's something that should be comforting to us. And, and the fact that God over and over and over again in his through his prophets, is telling these foreign nations, yes, I'm, you may be used as my instrument of judgment, but your arrogance and your pride and your destructive, um, you know, just antagonistic nature against Israel, my people, you're going to pay for that one day. So it's just, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I, I can, yeah man, it's, it was like, uh, you know, with Babylon, I mean, God raised up Babylon and Assyria both to punish Israel and, and Judah, and then after they did that, God punished Assyria and then punished Babylon. Right, So yeah. punished them, used them for, for judgment, and then judged, yeah. them, judged them for their sins as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, it's, it's really something we need to take note of. The, the main thing you see here is that it looks like you know, the big sin was really kicking somebody when they were down, you know? Right. That's like yeah. the worst thing in the world. And, and one of the things you see today, I mean, I know I see it, is any time you, um, you see violence that's like, that's like recorded on the TV now, it's not, the, the violence today seems to be ratcheted up a little bit, in, in my opinion. You begin to see the elderly really taken advantage of. You begin to see, like, like sometimes on these closed caption cameras, you know, you catch people sucker punching people. Yeah. Just, just, mm-hmm. just out, out of no, you know, just they're, they're looking away and they sucker punch them. Or if they knock them unconscious, knocking them unconscious is not enough. What yeah. do they do after they knock them unconscious? Keep going. They just keep kicking them, jumping on them, trying to jump up and down and break their necks and stomp on their heads. Dishonorable. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's just like a, a blatant, a complete blatant disregard for, for human life. Right. And that's exactly what Edom did to their own brother, kinsmen. Right, right. To their own kinsmen. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and even again, the fact that they, in numbers, they didn't let 
They didn't even let them pass through their land. They were trying to be as, you know, uh, compensating as possible. They were like, look, right. anything that we do, if we drink your water, we'll right. pay back, you know? They were unappeasable. Right. Unappeasable. Yep. Knows, no, nothing you can do about it. You're not coming through. I don't care what you want. Don't care what you need. Don't care that you're kin to us. No. And it's kind of crazy. I just thought about this. Obadiah, you have this short chapter in Obadiah of judgment against another nation, kinsmen, but another nation uh, that is antagonistic against Israel. And then in the very next book, you have Jonah. It's like God's providence or something. I don't know. In the very next book, you have, you have God loving a nation that doesn't love Israel. Exactly. It's, it's interesting. Exactly. So because of our great sin against Israel, divine judgment is pronounced upon Edom. And it is summed up in verse 15. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto you. So it is their sin coming back upon What you reap yourself upon, upon or what you yes, sow you'll reap. So you reap, exactly, exactly. So it happened just as God pronounced in Edom as a nation perished and Israel remains. The restoration of Israel, these verses teach God's protective mercy for his people. Okay, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have God's protective mercy on you as his people? Absolutely, positively, 100% true. may not always go the way you think it's going to go, right? Well, but... and, so, and sometimes his protective mercy may be, may be painful uh, in the beginning, but, but I mean, that's, it's, pain in God's kingdom always serves a purpose. That, that's the beauty of pain in God's kingdom. Kind of joy, my brother, when you, when you go through trials of various kinds. Sure. I mean, I mean, James... I mean pregnancy. I mean, I mean, pregnancy well, is painful, but then the child, and then you're, you know, you've got this wonderful. You know, I, I love. We were doing our counseling training, and um, with you know modern day therapy, the goal is to get you out of pain as quickly as possible. Whatever it takes, the goal is to get you away from pain. And the person who was teaching us, he just said, you know, um, do we as believers see in Scripture that God sometimes allows and uses pain to help His people? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yes, and we, no and that's a hard truth to understand. But yes, sometimes God will allow his people to walk through certain seasons in order to mature them and help them grow. Um, and so we have a very, don't, don't be bamboozled by the culture. You have a very uh, profound uh, faith. You have a very profound Bible here uh, that, you, that you believe in. And the truths embedded in the scripture uh, are far greater, in my opinion, than what the world's, you know, kind of hawking at us. So. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Well, the world teaches us that any discomfort at all, any discomfort, any, any, any pain is, that should be avoided at all costs and probably means that you've done something wrong and that you're outside of the will of God. If you're a preacher and, and, and a tribulation follows you everywhere you go, then you're obviously doing something wrong. And the scripture says the exact opposite. The scripture yeah. says that a man of truth, if he stands on the word of God, what shall he have? Tribulation persecution right as they persecuted the prophets that came before you it's just it's just a worldliness that gets so embedded in us in in comfort and prosperity that we, sometimes we don't recognize the truth and we don't recognize when god's doing something in our life because it hurts well and you know it's just you know don't be surprised brothers when the fiery trial comes yeah, against Peter, you i mean it's exactly. just like guys i mean you know it's we live in an americanized culture where it's you know we do thank the lord we have a lot of blessings that keep us comfortable and these types of things but the danger there is we, if we get too comfortable, then when the, when the discipline or the trial does come, I mean, it's like we, we're, we're this close to losing our faith because it's like, God, you, you yeah. just shouldn't let me down, happen. God. Well, how right. could you let this happen? Your protection's gone. It's like, no, no, this might be a joke moment, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> honestly. I yeah. mean, yeah. so. 
So these verses teach God's protective mercy for his people. Yes, Jim, you want to say something? What? Yeah. It's better, it would be better for him than a millstone to be tied around his neck. Yeah. Oh, I love reading Yeah. So don't be the one that causes one of these little ones to sin. Right, right. Yeah, it's good. God's protection. Yeah. So no one who fought God's covenant people ever prospered. Did you notice that? No one who fought God's covenant people ever prospered but paid dearly. Now, let me just give you an example. Who was the one, who was the one that God gave the, the, the eternal covenant to in the Old Testament who went after he had been persecuted, attempted murder for, for many believe almost 10 years, would not lay a hand on him because he believed he was God's anointed? David, yes, exactly. I mean, Saul was the anointed king at that time. David had also been privately anointed but because he saw Saul as God's anointed king, he wouldn't, although he could have multiple times, he would not lay a hand on him In fact, because he was God's anointed king. The, 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 the messenger that comes back who killed, who kind of facilitated <laughs> Saul's him. suicide, right? He kills Saul because yeah. Saul tells him to. Yeah. And then he runs back to report it, and David's like, you're dead. You're dead. You didn't honor the anointed. You're gone, <laughs> right. brother. Right, so just so, remember that. Yeah. No one who fought God's covenant people ever prospered to pay dearly. And just to, just to throw a little, a little meat at you, um, where, what, what overarching principle do we have in the scripture that backs up that claim? Where do you find it? Second Genesis. Samuel 7. <laughs> no? Oh, my goodness, what? <laughs> Genesis chapter 12. Just hold your hand in Obadiah and go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now, this is a serious covenant. This covenant is still alive and well today. Yep. That's what people forget. This covenant is alive and well today. Genesis 12, the Abrahamic promise says this. And I will make of you a what? A great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Who's he talking about? The descendants of Abraham, which would be who? Israel, okay? Yep. I will bless those who bless you and do what? And curse those who curse you. What did Edom do? Curse them. Not only curse them, abuse them, brought personal harm to them, helped Gentile pagans come in and slaughter Israel, right? So therefore, the consequences of that is Edom... You know, and maybe they just weren't good listeners, you know, the Edomites, because they saw their, they saw their dad, right? The founder of their nation, Esau. Yeah. Like, you know, Jacob is kind of, uh, he's kind of being a, 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 a little scummy, honestly, like, like sending everyone ahead. Cause he's like, hopefully they'll die before I do. You know, <laughs> like, he's like sending all these gifts ahead and like all these apologies yeah. to his brother. And then finally he gets to his brother and, uh, you know, and his brother forgives him. Yeah. Which... Well, it's, the fa it's family stories. You know, in family squabbles, both families think they're right, right? Right. Don't right, they? Yeah. Isn't that how it goes? I mean, bo both families think they're right, and both mm -hmm. families spin the story to their favor. So that's what, that's what happened. Yeah. So. Yeah, probably. All right, so these verses stress the bright hope of Israel in the Messianic kingdom. 
and who belongs to Israel? We do, right? The Church of Jesus Christ does. Exactly. We're grafted, grafted in, Paul in. Says. All right. So Edom has perished, but again, who flourishes? Israel. Exactly. Right, so here, I really like this chart that he, that he gave us. It was, it was helpful to me. It's the first time I've ever seen Obadiah, of the book of Obadiah, put in a chart. But he gives you the categories on the left and gives you uh, the, 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 the fulfillment of those categories on the right. So the brothers are Esau and Jacob. The nations that descend from each one is Edom and Israel. The citizenship with Esau is earthly. The citizenship of Jacob is heavenly, and that's the child of the, of the promise as opposed to the, to, the, to the slave child. Or, well, that's Ishmael, but, but as opposed to Esau that gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then the character would be chosen or set apart by Jacob and proud and rebellious by Esau. You see that? Pretty, 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 pretty straightforward. Yeah. All right. Just a few more here. History tells us that Edom fell to the Babylonians five years after they had helped Babylon destroy Jerusalem, as indicated in verse 13. Thereafter, the Nabatheans, an Arabian tribe, occupied Edom's capital of Petra. By the third century, even the language of Edom had ceased. So no Edomese anymore. No. No Edomese. No. All right, Daniel eleven forty one. 41. Uh, he shall come into the glorious land. The tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Okay. All right, Jonah, here Jonah. we go. This is going to be wow. the one where everybody's going to want to talk and contribute. Amen? Amen. Okay. Jonah. So who, who, who's read Jonah and who loves the story of Jonah? Everybody, right? All right, so, so what's the main thing you remember about the story of Jonah? Oh, come on, big fish. The big fish, right? Yeah, the yeah, big that's fish. Yeah, that's what I remember. Yes, yeah. that's what I remember. So let's, let's go through the notes, and we'll just, uh, as, I mean, it's 6.30. we got plenty of time. So just bring out questions or observations or anything you want to say about this wonderful, short, four-chapter prophecy in uh, the Old Testament. Now, I'll tell you, one of the things I love about Jonah is that it's not like Isaiah where Isaiah is just this string of prophetical oracles uh, pretty much through the whole book. Jeremiah's got a little narrative worked into it. Ezekiel's got a little narrative worked into it. Yeah. But to me, the narrative being blended into the prophecy helps. Does that help you? Because it helps Yeah, me. that's like Daniel. That's why we yeah, love Daniel, Daniel perfect, I think, yeah, too. Example, so. Right. So, so that's what you have here in Jonah. You have like a prophecy that is worked into a narrative. And to me, it's just... We easier. get the reverse a little bit with Ezekiel. You get a few instances where it talks about Ezekiel's right. life and him get, getting taken into slavery by the Egyptians and that kind of stuff. So. Exactly. Or is that Jeremiah? No, it's both of them. Okay, I get both them all. No, 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 both of them. No, Ezekiel and Jeremiah both have, have, have an aspect of narrative yeah. to the prophecy. For yeah. sure, for sure. Okay, so Jonah means what? Dove, Okay. So his hometown, according to 1 Kings 14.25, was Gath Heifer, a village just three miles from Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. Now, what's really interesting about that is that Jonah is one of the few prophets that Jesus actually makes a personal reference to. Yep. Did you, did you know? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were, they, they, like, he was, uh, surely Jonah was talked about the whole time that Jesus was growing up. So, yeah. That's really, that's really neat. It's neat. It's interesting. Yeah. It's just I like, mean, why wouldn't you talk about a prophet that got swallowed by course, a big fish? Of course. Why you wouldn't you talk about that? Yeah. So are there any famous, uh, famous preachers from the Nashville area? Sir? 
Correct. Yep. Right. That's the sign. Right. Is there any famous preachers from around here? Shelby Hazard? No. <laughs> no. 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 Like no big name preachers came from around here. I, I don't. I don't know of any. Yeah. I'm, I'm Memphis. Here, yeah. Adrian Rogers. There it is. Memphis. Yeah. Adrian Rogers. Yeah. Adrian Rogers. Big deal. Yeah. yeah. President of the SBC at one yeah. time. Yeah. 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 He was a big one. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Just, just trying to make a little connection here, you know. Yeah, yeah. From Talk about Adrian Rogers. Rogers a little bit, you yeah. know. So he was, he was a good example of God working through a man who was like most of us. What does he mean by that? That we, yeah, wanted, wanted our own way, disobedient, pouted when he didn't get his way, right? Just kind of, kind of the whole world kind of revolves around me and my interpretation of everything. Yes, sir, Tony. Lisa is elbowing Tony uh, right now, trying to get through to him that this is about him. So he is, he is the Jonah of Parkway, obviously. So Tony, the Jonah of Parkway. So. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Pop says he kind of has fishy. A, a fishy He's a little smell. fishy. He's a fishy smell. All right. How's your head, by the way? Is it all right? It's okay. Just get up. Okay. All right. If the book of Jonah is really a narrative really a narrative actual fact, as I believe it to be, it brings us to one of the most striking revelations about God. Now, the reason why he puts that in there is because during higher, higher criticism back, I can't give you the dates, but it was when German higher criticism began back, gosh, I don't know, before I was born, they began to question anything that was supernatural in the text. And so a story like Jonah that seems a little unbelievable where this yeah. big fish, whale, swallows a man, he lives th for three days, right. he comes out and he's still alive, it just sounds unbelievable. So, so a, lot of, a lot of teaching circulated. Uh, who knows, does anybody know what teaching circulated? That it was allegorical. Yeah. That, 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 this story, that this prophecy was not real, that Jonah was not a real prophet, that it was allegorical, meaning that the fish represented pagan gods Jonah, the prophet Jonah, represented the Hebrew God. And so the, the fish gobbling up Jonah showed what? The pagan God's supremacy over the Hebrew prophet. Okay, that is absolutely not true. But that was what circulated in liberal, and I'm telling you, liberal theology is real. I, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, y'all probably don't live there like we do because we see all the seminary stuff and we see all the articles and we read the commentaries. But you really have to cling to the sufficiency mm. and, the, and the inerrancy of Scripture because the, Satan is nonstop attacking the text and trying to convince people that the Bible does not say what it says. And yeah. so we have to, we have to stand firm on the truth of Scripture no matter how it makes us feel, right. Right. okay? Because I can yeah. promise you there are going to always be things in the Scripture that push against your flesh and make you feel bad because we are sinful humans like Jonah. We want it our way or the highway. And the truth is, whose way is it? God's way. God's way you or know. the highway. Yes, Brandon. That's been explained from the beginning. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Did God really say? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I think that you're going to, you know, scholars, men who are, and, and, you know, women who have studied Scripture and made any kind of comment on it, very smart people have looked at scripture and 
all of us inevitably are going to run up against something. I mean, just to poll everyone in here, have we, as we've been going through this series, have you read something in Scripture that didn't totally sit well with you right when you read it? Oh, good. Great. <clears throat> yes. Right? Every day. And don't be ashamed to, to raise your hand. Every single time I, you know, read, especially the Old Testament, there's some stuff in the Old Testament that really I've got to wrestle with and I go, I run. The, the right response is to run to the Lord. And, and look, if you never can figure it out, be on your knees and just say, God, this is one of those things where you understand what happened here and, I'm, and I can't. My mind isn't big enough to understand what, why you did what you did and what took place, but you're God and I'm not, just like you were saying. But, but there are some who they, they just cannot give up that ground and they'll, they'll try to explain away mm -hmm. these certain scriptures mm -hmm. you know, with some fancy talk. And that's what Shelby's saying. We have to be prepared to do battle with those types of things. You know, um, in 2 Corinthians 10, yeah. it says that uh, our weapons are not fleshly. Right. They're not of this world, but they have power to destroy strongholds Take and every, every lofty captive. argument, you know, Take that's brought against the faith. So. Yeah, and, and it's not easy. I mean, it, 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 it takes, I mean, it really, it's really labor. I mean, you hear the scripture talk about like preaching and teaching being labor and rightly dividing and, and working and treading out the grain and so oh. forth because it really is, I mean, you're responsible for the word of God being delivered properly. You know, not, 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 we're not trying for entertainment. We're not trying to tickle your ears. We are trying to take this book and teach it to you in a way that prepares you to meet him when you die. Uh, you know, if you walk out of here not being so happy with me uh, because of something I preached, I mean, that's fine because I can promise you one thing is coming right out of here, uh, right out of here. And so if you're not happy with me because of something I preached, you're not, you're not happy with the word of God, hopefully that that will be conviction that will work on your heart over time and, and chip away at you a little bit at a time to conform you more and more into the image, into the image of Christ. Yeah, and, so. and, and one other thing I would say too is, is not only are we trying to prepare you to meet your maker, you know, and prepare our own hearts to meet our maker. I mean, certainly we want to be ready uh, because, again, Jesus is coming like what? Thief in the night. Thief in the night, right? We're not going to know when he's coming. But also we're trying to prepare each one of ourselves to be ready to go out into a world, especially, let's just say, in America, right, that's very, very aggressive against the gospel, the good news Thank right you. now. Thank and you. when you preach the good news, when you really lay out script scripturally what... God's word says about his good news. Um, it has some soft edges, right? God's grace, we love that. Uh, you're a sinner, oh, ugh. you know, that's like gonna cut you open a little bit, right? But we're trying to get you ready to, to go out into the world and do battle. Um, and, and really, that's kind of what it is sometimes. It's battle, and, and you need to know these things so that you can, you know, do that battle. You can be equipped. So it's not just, it's not just for, you know, it's for prepping you before your maker, but it also is prepping you for the, 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 when the you go to work tomorrow. Or, yeah, yep. yeah. Good, good call. All right, the man, Jonah. On the other hand, if it is fictional, it contains no authentic significance at all. Talking about Jonah being true or, or an allegory. Uh, the lessons of Jonah and literal interpretation of the book are imperative because the integrity of the scripture and the word of the Lord Jesus is at stake here. Jonah was a real person. You see this in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, and Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. 2 Kings 14.25 says, He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, 
according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. A real place, a real prophet, real history, he really existed. It's not an allegory, like everybody tries to say it is, or many try to say it is. The narrative of the book is actual, and there's nothing in Scripture to suggest otherwise. Modern critics look upon anything supernatural as incredible or unbelievable or impossible. The central message is what? Arise, go, preach. Tells him that twice. Can I add something to that? Uh, I really think, yes, I think that's definitely a part of it. But I I think that chapter 4, you just go to chapter 4, verse 2, okay? And I really think this is kind of like deep to the heart of this book. Um, And this is Jonah praying to the Lord, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Man, I mean, I... It so was, I knew you were going to forgive him. Right. It was like mind-blowing <laughs> when I discovered this verse because I was like... I always thought Jonah, uh, you know, fled from this call because he was afraid to go to this huge city and to preach the good news. No, he was, he was, he, he was, dare I say it, racist. Yeah, sure. There ain't <laughs> he, no doubt about it. He did not want to go no and, and, and proclaim mercy from God to these people. He was most definitely racist. There's no question about it. And wanted, I mean, and probably, truth be known, whatever, whatever the Old Testament, whatever the, the Old Testament understanding of hell was, that's where he wanted all of them to go. He did not want them to right. say, he did not want them to know God, no question about it, which is why he ran the total, the total opposite direction. Right. So the structure of the book was very simple, very simple. This book is very simple. Jonah flees, Jonah prays, Jonah preaches, Jonah learns. So four chapters, four, four, primary, four primary themes in each one, okay? So Jonah flees. Jonah was a Hebrew, and he had been called by the Lord God to go to the Gentile capital of Assyria, Nineveh, and preach in person face to face. Instead, what does he do? He runs. He runs from the call. Not that he could escape God, but from his calling as a prophet. He did not, as Colton just just alluded to, he did not want to take the message of repentance and destruction to Nineveh. He did not want Nineveh spared. Hmm. How scary is that, David? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, I th- there's probably, I would say there's probably two reasons why, why most men are, that are called run. One is like Jonah, who, because maybe he was bitter in heart and didn't want, the, didn't want the specific call God was putting on his life. I think more common probably is just the idea, you know, how can I possibly be called to represent God and preach his word. That, that, that was what I went through for probably three years. I, I mean, I did youth ministry and, I, and I, I did volunteer ministry in the church for two or three years before I ever began to even think about, I mean, I, I was in the business world, I was working in corporate America, I'd been saved maybe three years. 
I mean, I just, I mean, I knew the sins and the way I had lived for so many years, and I just could not see me representing God, preaching the gospel, and being a pastor. I, I, I just, I could not see it. And that's the reason why I fought it for so long until I met Paul. Then when I met Paul the Apostle and I found out how he had so viciously persecuted the church, it kind of freed me to realize, well, you know, Maybe, maybe I can. You know, maybe I can do that. So it took a little bit more time, but I, but, but I, finally, yeah. but I finally answered. So, but yes, it's, and, and honestly, man, I, I, think it's probably a, I think it's probably a good sign that, that, that a man probably resists a little bit at the beginning because it's, I mean, you need to be sure. It's like, right. I mean, I get kind of worried when, when, when younger guys in the past, not in any time, anything here recently, but, but in, young, in, in previous years, I've had young guys come up and they, you know, they, man, I, I think I'm called to do this and all this kind of stuff. And, and all they see, all they see is me in a suit and tie behind a pulpit on Sunday morning and here on Wednesday night preaching a Bible, teaching a Bible study. They don't see everything that happens in my office. They don't see the struggles that I have behind closed doors. They don't see the, the, the division and the conflict and the spiritual warfare that's everywhere else. They, they think you walk up here and you preach a sermon, everybody just thinks you're great and you go home. And I'm just like, that, that, if you can do anything else, do it. Anything else. I mean, for those of us that are called, we can't do anything else and right. be okay. Right. We, 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 ha we have to breathe the Word of God. We have to preach the Word of God. We have to be in the church of God, or we just feel like we're just a fish out of water. Yeah, if you're Not, truly, no pun intended. Yeah, fish right, out of water. right. If you're truly called, I mean, God is going to... Like Jeremiah, the, just yeah. firing my bones. Right. You can't, yeah, you won't be able to contain it. Yeah. We like being with you, honestly. Yeah. We, we, we like being with you. Uh, there's, a little, there, there's a little stress involved because we are kind of the, you know, the, the, the leaders and the teachers, and we have, to, we have to kind of have our act together, so to speak, theologically before we come to the public teaching, public proclamation, in case somebody asks us something that we don't know or we're not prepared to answer. But, but, but once you get out here and you get going, th this is what we live for. I mean, I mean we live... We live and love to see people hunger and crave for the Word of God and that, that want to see others hunger and crave for the Word of God. And it absolutely bothers us to the pit of our soul to see people walk away from the faith, to see people walk away from Jesus, to, to see believers have, have, uh, make terrible decisions that, that grieve the Spirit in their lives or watch each other make decisions that grieve the yeah. Spirit in our lives and things of that nature. But, but, but my, my favorite thing is to be with you. I love being with the people. That, that's, I mean, yeah. we just do. I mean, Absolutely. I know you do, and I know Clayton yep. does. It's just, yep. it's just what we love. So, yeah. What? Sure. 
Can I say that, you know, I think one of my favorite things, uh, and, and this is, we're kind of taking a rabbit trail, but I've always told people in Sunday school class and everything, if we're following a holy rabbit trail, then we're all good. If we're following like a secular one that makes, it doesn't worth, you amount to a hill of beans, yeah, let's get back on track. Like a Jeep illustration in a Right, story. right. Well, no, that was a good one. That was a good one. I, I, I learned from it. But um, anyway, I, I think that, you know, you, and this is something I think we all shared. This isn't just a pastoral thing, but, you know, this is probably one of the reasons I love counseling is because when you're sharing your brother's burdens or your sister's burdens, um, you know, we're called to do that in Christ. And certainly I think some of the most um, intimate moments that you'll ever have with your brother or sister in Christ is when you see them going through a, a very difficult, terrible time and you get to just come alongside of them and, and mourn with them, you know, and you get to, um, and I think the reason that we, we're so drawn, or at least I think we all are drawn to that, whether you realize it or not, um, in those moments is because Christ is incarnational and he came to suffer alongside and he is, he is our high priest who has sympathized with us in our, in our weaknesses. And so it's such a joy. You know, I try to tell people that in the counseling room, I think sometimes they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm like burdening you. And I'm just like, no, like, it's my joy to walk with you, you know, and to, and to help you, you know, because first off, I know it's changing your life and it's the word changing their life, you know, because literally, yes, we do talk. I don't just like, you know, they sit down, I'm like, Bible in your face, you know, like, I don't do that, you know, like, I rebuke you, you know, it's like, not like that, it's, but, you know, we do just adventure through the text of scripture and, and allow it to open up their hearts, to dissect their hearts, because we know from Hebrews it does that, right? It cuts you Living straight to the Sharp bone. To and then it, it, it uh, interprets your need and your pain and your struggles, and, and, and then we apply the truth. And it's just such a joy to walk through uh, with people. Adrian Rogers said, pain. the word either cuts you to heal you or cuts you to kill you. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. So, yeah. so thank you for the, for the, the little hiatus. Yeah. It's yeah. a good one. So he did not want Nineveh to be spared. So he took the ship the opposite direction and goes to Joppa. Uh, God brought him, he gets on a boat, and then God brings about a storm in order to get Jonah where he wanted him. Um, so, I gotta, can I read this? Yeah, you absolutely can. Because I got to tell you, verse 13, I was just like, I came into Shelby's office and I was like, I think this is the most compelling verse in all of Jonah, the book of Jonah, right here. Um, 12 and 13. He said, that in, he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Um, I don't know. What is that word? I don't know. It's, it's, it's not right. <laughs> is that not right? Dingling. Dingling. Right. Where, where are we at here? Let me, let me pick it up in my Bible. <laughs> I'm sorry. Verse 13. Here we go. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> the men... <laughs> can, I, can I regain myself here? Okay, here we yeah. go. Uh, <laughs> I'll find out what it's supposed to be. Lord, help me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It was just against them. Against. Maybe that was the word we were looking for there. I don't know, but then it, there it is, against them. Okay, anyway. Um, was that supposed to be 14 too? No, that's supposed to go through 17, Yeah, isn't it? right there. Keep reading 14, right there. Okay. Here, I'll just go, I'll go with it in my Bible. I just threw you off dingly. No, dingly. I just totally did. Don't ever say that word to me, ever. Yeah. Okay. Verse 14. It's my weakness. Kryptonite. 
Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I just, I love verse 13 because don't you see in that, these pagan men are trying to do everything that they can within their power to fight this, this God-ordained storm to save this man, this rebellious man. And who should have been that person? Jonah should have been the one going after them and pleading with the Lord and like, let me grab an oar, let me help you guys. And it's like, no, he, the man of God was the, had the least amount of mercy in this situation. Yeah. What I liked about the, the thing I noticed was that in, the, in that account, was that no matter how hard they rode, what pushed back against them? The storm. And, that, and, that, and that's something that's, that's great to know as a believer is that if you're going away from the will of God, what is he gonna do? He is gonna pull you harder back toward him. So no matter how hard they mm. rode, the storm pushed harder to make that's sure good. that they were going the direction they were supposed to be going for, for the will of God, so. That's good stuff, man. I like that. I, man, I just, that's good. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what the dingling That's okay, man. I, I, That's okay. That was just, I had to type all that text in. I guess I just did a typo in there for it you. It kind of like just slips off the I'm tongue. Sorry. Let's hope. Let's hope that's. Let's hope that's all there is in here, right? <laughs> I mean, I proofed this thing three times and missed that. Something. Okay, man. So Jonah was in a what? A prepared fish. That's just. That's Doctor Stringfellow's words. Prepared fish. What does the ESP say? Who? What does the ESV say? I don't know. Is appointed. Like, appointed right? fish. Prepared fish. Appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah as preservation, not punishment. Now, I, I want to take issue with Dr. Stringfellow on this <laughs> because there's no way that, that being in the belly of that whatever it was, whale fish, whatever it was, right. that had to be scary. There had to be some some disciplinary function to that. I mean, I just put myself in that position. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I'm swimming in the water and a fish swallows me up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'm praising Jesus the first few seconds that I'm swallowed I mean, it's by the fish. I mean, I think I'm going to die. You know? but, right. then, but then I think, I guess once I get into the belly of the fish and I realize that I'm not going to die, yeah. then maybe reality hits me and that's where the prayer, that's where the prayer comes. Right, and you know it's incredible because you've got to think about this, right? A fish, I mean, when a fish swallows you whole, um, there's no, there's no like, there's not a lot of oxygen going on like in that fish, right? There's not like a lot of like, this dude should have died. And what God did is he turned, I love this, is I'm stealing from Paul Tripp here um, in his Jonah study, but, but he, he basically turned this fish into a submarine, you know, for yeah, Jonah, right, for, because right. he was able to breathe. He was able, obviously he was, because he prayed, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't just in, incapacitated in that fish. He was praying in the fish. He was conscious. So, I mean, in, in some ways, yeah, I think he is right. There's preservation. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, man, he just went through a scary ordeal. He was, like, chucked to the bottom of the ocean. Some of it of had the ocean. to be. I mean, I just, I right, just think right. it had to be. So. You know, sometimes our punishment is actually facing ourselves and that maybe Jonah was scared of, that he would not have any distractions in there but the face of something. Yeah, just facing himself in the darkness and his sin. That's, that's pretty good. That is good. You need to hook him up with commentary. And you know, he was reflecting on scripture, I have to believe, because like a lot of what he prays here is quoted scripture, is it yeah, not? I think so. Yep. In in chapter two. Jim. I mean, he was in the belly of the fish three days, three 
Now that I don't know. Yes, yes, you're right. It, well, well, it just says, it just says he was in, that looks like a summary statement in verse 17, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. No, I guess maybe it is, because after he prayed this prayer is when he got spit out, I think. Yeah, so you're right, Jim. So, so he's in there three days, three nights, he prays, then verse 10 says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out. So that's, that's, that's probably the timeline of what happened. Probably the timeline. Hmm. Yeah. That's a long time to think. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's good. That Say that good. again. Yeah. Yeah. Just like how a preacher that outside of God's will makes everybody sick, pretty much, right? There's nothing worse than to see it. There's nothing worse than to see a man of God who is outside the will of God that does something that brings scandal upon the people yeah. of God and then yeah. makes everybody sick. That's why you see the biggest news. Yeah. On, on, on these happenings, which is sad. Oh, yeah, man. When, when we fall, I mean, Satan makes sure everybody knows because it's, it's, just, it's, it a, it's just a black eye on all of Christendom. That's why it doesn't matter whether it's a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Roman Catholic. I mean, it doesn't matter to the world that's not, like, faithful to Christ. If they're a Christian, they just lump us all together. And so anything that happens yeah. brings bring scandal yeah. upon the name of Christ. So. All right, let's keep on going here. What time is it? We've got to rock and roll. We've got to move a little faster here. It is a prayer of thanksgiving and praise of rededication. Jonah had a change of heart in verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah was then vomited out on dry land, safe and sound. All right, Jonah preaches is the next one. The lone prophet preached to the great city of Nineveh. The city was turned upside down for God because a servant of God had been given a second chance, and he preached. The Lord Jesus gives us a clue to Jonah's power in preaching 11, uh, in Luke 11, 29 through 30. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this would be Jesus speaking, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of who? Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So you have to be real careful. That, that's one of the things that makes you wonder about all these folks that said that Jonah was an allegory. Because if, if all these folks were saying Jonah is an allegory, then what is Jesus? Lying. Because hmm. it didn't really happen. So he's saying something that, that happened that didn't happen. So what is that? What do you call somebody that says that? A liar. You're, you're telling a, a tall tale. So, all right. So Jonah was then assigned by the miraculous experience in the great fish. Now, how did they know about the fish story, do you think? Yeah, the, the sailors that lived probably told the story. If they knew, I don't know how they would have known, but right. he probably told Maybe the, pe the people of Nineveh. Maybe definitely. they saw. I mean, maybe he jumped in and when he or they threw him over and when watched the fish gulping gulp down. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. Oh my gosh! And then they saw him later. Hey, Jonah! Like what? What happened there? <laughs> Golly, that's got to be a story. <laughs> yeah, Jonah. How did you get back to shore before we did? <laughs> Golly, man, we need to get we your form you of <laughs> transportation. Right. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe right. So. Did you just get swallowed by a fish, Jonah? Is that what happened? <laughs> At yeah. any rate, Jesus said he was a sign just as the Son of Man be to this generation. So the city repented 
and God changed his heart toward them, meaning his, meaning Jonah. Okay? So here in this chapter, Jonah learns, uh, in this chapter is a dialogue between Jonah and the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, Jonah is angry and displeased over Israel's dark future now that Nineveh had been spared and he even prays that his life will be taken. Wow, man. I mean, how, better, how man. dark can you get? Jonah went outside the city, and he goes outside the city, I guess, to, you know, if destruction is coming. Oh, he was wanting to watch the there. show. And he wants to see, yeah. you know, the, the city be hit with sulfur ash and fire, I guess. But he goes outside, and everybody repents. You know, I wondered if the, if the Ninevites had heard about Sodom and Gomorrah. And literally, if that was like one of the reasons they were like, uh, we need to repent right now because we heard about what happened there and we don't want to end up like that. <laughs> yeah, this, this Hebrew God mean, means business. He means business, right. We need, we need to get right with him. All right, so God prepared three things for Jonah while he was waiting. Three things. A gourd, I think that's the King James, but I think most all, of, uh, all linguists believe that that, that was uh, unfortunately a mistranslation and that the term is actually means a castor oil plant, okay? The, the, theologically, there's no, like, there's no disaster in getting a plant name wrong. And, and what word do you see again? Appointed. Appointed, yes. Appointed, 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 yes. A castor oil plant, then a worm that kills the plant, and then the east wind that scorches uh, Jonah's head, right? So causing Jonah to wish for death in verse 8, followed by the divine utterance closing the book. That's a castor oil plant right there. I'd never really seen one before. I don't think I ever remember looking one up. So those are some pretty big leaves. Yeah, they provide a little shade. Yeah, so you could, you know, you could, you could, you could lay under that and, and, uh, and get, some, get some relief from the sun. So, all right, so Jonah 4, 10, 11, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So, so summarize the story for us. We'll summarize right quick. So Jonah comes outside the city, waits to see something happen. Right. They all repent. The, 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 uh, a plant grows up. He gets under yeah. the plant. The scorching wind comes, kills the plant, and he's all bitter. Well, the worm kills the plant, the worm right? worm kills the yeah. plant. So he's all bitter because, number one, because Nineveh has repented, and yeah. now the plant's gone, and he's just mad at the world. Right, right. And it's funny because he, in his bitterness, is receiving God's gentle, uh, I would say discipline, not like really judgment at this point, and Nineveh is enjoying the fruits of their repentance. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just kind of a, a reversal of roles here because he is the chosen elect people of God, and he's the one that's supposed to be enjoying God's favor, mm -hmm. and he's not because he's, he's uh, you know, just bitter. I, I really love uh, this quote from Paul Tripp in his, his study. You know that you're in deep spiritual trouble when the sin of others concerns you more than your own. And <laughs> yeah. I just really thought that that yeah. was like, good. That's got Pharisee written all over it, doesn't it? Right, right. Yeah, because I Look mean... Look at what they're doing over there. Look at that. The, the pointing, right? Yeah. Instead of the man who's sitting there, you know, beating his chest saying, God, I'm a sinner, right? Jesus oh. says, which one came home justified? Mm -hmm. Right. What does it say? Three days and three days and then it will be overthrown? Something yeah. Like that. 
Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Right, and look at the next verse, right after verse uh, 4, verse 5. What does it say? They believed, they believed. Now look, when you're in trouble, right, with someone, and you believe that their threats are real, I mean, you, you, I think one notion, at least, that probably crosses your mind is, hey, if I say sorry to them, maybe they'll, maybe they'll be gracious toward me, because I know I'm in the wrong. You know, and here's, here's the Ninevites, man. He, this dude's preaching judgment. God's going to totally waylay us, maybe, if we repent. I think the king actually says that. Yeah, he does, in verse 8 there. Uh, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let uh, them call uh, out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So, yeah, you're right. They did not get any guarantee from Jonah that, hey, if you repent, you'll be good to go. He's just, the king's like, look, maybe if we repent here before God, he may spare us. And Jonah confirms that because he says, I knew you would relent because you're gracious and you're merciful. <laughs> yeah. That's, what was that? y'all see the, the the deep comparison that's being made these two verses because we've got, we got to wrap this up but I mean Jonah Jonah's worried about his own what Jonah's worried about his own comfort God has got way big more concerns on his mind right I mean you're worried about this plant mm -hmm. but we've got a city of 120,000 people that don't know their right from their left is another way of saying they don't know me and also much cattle. He even has mercy on the beasts that are at the mercy of these Gentiles, these pagans that don't know him. And so, uh, you know, that right there is the, the biggest indictment to me, to Jonah, is the fact that he is so, like, overwhelmed and bitter over a plant and him being uncomfortable that he's not even thinking about the incredible act of mercy that God has just done to Nineveh. Yeah. And you know, I, I, think, I think this comes back to the Abrahamic covenant, that, that, that Abraham's descendants were going to bless all nations, right? And we know that ultimately culminates in Christ, but shouldn't they have been doing that before even Christ came? They were to be a blessing by showing their, their obedience to God and what a nation could look like when it lived in relationship with the holy God, right? And so, and, and instead, what they had become Jonah was just a prototypical Israelite. We get a glimpse of what, what the Israelites were like, and we know that. I think there's actually evidential proof because who did the Israelites hate that were close to them as neighbors when we get to the New Testament? The Samaritans. Samaritans. Jesus used them uh, often as an example because he knew that they absolutely hated the Samaritans. Because they were, they were unclean. Right, they were right. Not, and so, 
Yep. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So this statement is a revelation of the heart of God, what Jonah's learned. Jonah is not the important factor here, it's God. We should seek God's tender patience with a resentful prophet. Also, that the election of the one nation did not mean rejection of the others. That's a really important truth in this. Yeah. Because God sent Jonah to Nineveh for hopefully for Nineveh to repent and to, to know him. So that, that's really important. So every, all nations are important to God. Yeah. Jonah as a type, this is really good. The first is he foreshadows the history of Israel and his nation uh, out of her own land, finding refuge with Gentiles, crying out to Jehovah, displeased with some nations. All of these were seeing Jonah. Second, Jonah signifies the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Of our Lord Jesus confirmed this in his own words in Matthew 12, 38 through 41. And here we see Old Testament typology as an impressive credential of divine inspiration, meaning that, that God already knew that he was going to use the, the, the illustration or the example of, of Jonah before Christ even came into the world. Do you see that? I mean, that's one of the reasons why we believe what we believe is because of the prophecy being fulfilled that way. Uh, and then we'll, let's see, how much more we got here? Yeah, okay, not much. Let's just go ahead and read it. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Man, that is a serious, that is an indictment. That's man. a serious scathing that he just gave yeah. Jesus. Third, Jonah is a type of Christ himself as a sign. Uh, same, uh, just blue, consider Matthew. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign of the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. Okay? So, just as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be. Jonah came out of the fish after three days and three nights, Jesus Christ came out of the tomb. The gospel was then taken to the Gentiles, just as Jonah was instructed. Do y'all see that? Yeah. Okay. Jesus, therefore, has attested the book of Jonah and all scripture the end. All right, prayer requests. Let's see, Mark Cantrell uh, requested prayer for his brother-in-law, Robert Jones. Robert has got some, um, is having some biopsies on two masses uh, found in his body. Uh, so it sounds like there's going to be some serious stuff going on uh, with, uh, with Mark's brother-in-law. So please remember Robert Jones. Please remember Marty Luffman. Uh, Marty is going to have uh, some surgery in the morning. Uh, about his, he's having some uh, a back a back issue, a nerve problem that's pretty pretty serious. Uh, I'll, I'll know more about it. I'm going to try to go up there in the morning and pray with him before the surgery. He's really concerned about it. So please remember Marty Marty Luffman. And I know that there was a uh, there was some food being organized to take over to his house. If you were participating in that, please don't take anything right now. So he gets back out of the hospital. Um, anything else other than those two? Anything else? Yes, Brandon. Okay. What's, what's his name, Brandon? Clifton. Clifton. Okay. All right. Anything else? Anybody else? Okay. 
run down through here right quick. Um, the Oh, you're still. No, you're, I was just going to say on announcements, the photo director, you guys, y'all done a great job signing up. We've we've already like completely really? filled up the uh, list in the foyer, and uh, our online signups are almost our spots are almost gone. So we have added another day. Kathy, help me out with this. I think it's the fourth, right? Just the day after on Tuesday, um, the fourth. And so just remember um, that whole day will be open. So you know if you're working, just just know that there's afternoon evening schedules as well that you can you can sign up for if you haven't gotten a chance yet and just to remind you if you do sign up you get a free booklet you get a free uh, directory uh, with it and uh, and also as a reminder because uh, these guys are doing a lot of work they've been really easy to work with um, you may want to consider you know what your family might want to purchase for pictures family pictures after it's done you don't have to do that but uh, certainly they've been really good to us and uh, you might want to Think about uh, making this a family picture event for you guys to, to purchase and put in your house somewhere. So, uh, That's right. Yeah, because they offer packages and stuff. Right. Be so. sure, uh, we, in the interest of time, we won't read any more of these announcements. Just be sure if you pick up an announcement sheet, there's plenty of them out there. Cindy makes plenty of them for us. You want to get the rest of the announcements. And the only reason and I said uh, that is because the announcement on here is not totally correct because that development just happened today and we prep our bulletins early. So, okay. yeah. All right, so let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight, for the privilege of studying your word, uh, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you, uh, for the privilege of, of having, of being sealed with your Holy Spirit, um, Father, to, uh, to have the ability to, um, to overcome the enemy's advances in our life uh, through your supernatural power that indwells us, Lord, and we just thank you so much for that, Father. Lord, we pray uh, specifically tonight for, uh, for Mark Cantrell's brother-in-law, Robert Jones, and the, the testing that's going on with him, and we pray that, that Father, that they would come back uh, negative, Lord, that there would be, that these would be benign problems, benign growths that he has, Lord. And Father, I know it's just scary when you get that kind of information, and Lord, we, but we just ask your grace and mercy uh, for, them and, for him and his family. Uh, Father, for Marty, Marty has had a really rough time uh, over the past month after this car wreck that he had, and, He's just blessed to be alive, and he knows that, Lord. And, and now he's got another valley that he has to face with this surgery he's having tomorrow. Father, we ask that you would anoint the hands, the minds, the procedures uh, tomorrow, that, that they would be flawless, that they would glorify you, Lord, that Marty would be restored. Father, there would be no, uh, there would be no further problems, and that he would be restored, dear God. And, uh, we just pray that for him tonight. Father, we pray for Brandon's grandfather, Clifton this back surgery that he's having soon, Lord, that uh, you, would, you would, the same for Marty, that you would have, uh, that you would anoint the hands, minds, uh, thoughts of the, uh, of the clinicians that'll be uh, helping him. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for Parkway Baptist, for those that have come tonight. Uh, yes, such, a, such a really good, a good number of people here, Lord, to, to come and study your word and try to apply it to their lives and to learn more about who you are and to study the words of your prophets, Father, and uh, it's just so encouraging to see. Lord, we, we ask that you continue to be with us, lead, guide us, direct us, as we always pray to you, Father, and uh, be with our uh, student ministry leaders, our children's leaders. Lord, uh, be, with, uh, be with Anna as she begins to prepare to transition out here in a few days yes, and uh, to go help her family. And, Father, um, help us to be diligent in, uh, in overseeing the transition in our ministries here, Father, uh, that we would not uh, miss a beat and that we would continue to see 
uh, the saints equipped for works of service and our children and students loved and helped to know uh, who, who your son Jesus Christ is and to serve him. Father, again, I thank you so much for the privilege of, of serving with Colton and uh, his family and all of our staff, uh, Tiffany and Clayton and uh, Steve and his family, Lord, and, and uh, just, just everybody, Lord, that is here, uh, Lord, that works so diligently uh, to help us uh, as we continue to reach this community for Christ. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good night, Lafayette. Love you, you guys. Good night, good night, good night.